guys, we can open up our Bibles. We're going to get into Luke's Gospel. Uh, once again, took a, a momentary reprieve um, to uh, address some, some things for Christmas last week, but now we're back in uh, Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be, this is our last time, uh, you can breathe a collective sigh of relief, this is our last week now in uh, verses 1 through 6. Um, so I think you guys all got Bibles, but if, if you didn't, raise your hand and we'll, we'll get one to you. So in the in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we're uh, we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter nine, verses one through six. Let me read it, pray, and uh, we'll dive in. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. Let's pray. God, we come as always to your word with humility. We want to be beneath this. In its authority, we want to build our life on it and its stability. God, through the course of these number of weeks now, looking at this text, it's just been my desire that you would you would turn this church, myself, outward. As we read of you sending out the apostles disciples, God, that you would do the same with us. So I'm praying that you would use this last message on this text to that end. I I know you have a heart for the unbelieving, for the wayward, for the prodigal, for the lost. And I know that you've established your church as your means of advancing the kingdom and bringing the gospel, your redeeming reign to more and more people. And so, God, we just pray we want to be that kind of a church. By your spirit, would you make us that here today, we pray. Amen. Um, Okay, so as I said, this is going to be the... um, as far as I can tell, the last message on these six verses, it actually is message number six, if you can believe it. We've uh, discovered through the course of this time uh, a surprising reality that Jesus is sending out not only the twelve or the apostles here, but the church in general, in other words, 
you and I. We've said things along the way like every Christian is a missionary. That if you are a Christian, you in fact have been commissioned by God and put on mission for him. Or uh, the title that we've been kind of flying over this mini-series, we've been saying that every saint is sent. Every saint is sent. Just brief recap for those of you that are jumping in right now. Verses 1 through the first part of verse 2, we saw what I called preparatives. Namely, that uh, if we're going to be missionaries for Jesus, we need to be called into close communion with Him, given power and authority, and sent out by Him. Preparatives. And then as we came to the second part of verse 2, we uh, asked, okay, wait a minute, what is actually this, what is our missionary objectives? What are we actually sent out to do? And there in the latter part of verse 2, we saw it. Two things, namely, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Or, as we've been putting it, ministry of word, ministry of deed. Sharing the story with our lips, showing the story, the gospel, with our lives. And then last time, Verses 3 through 5, we looked at what I called directives, particular instructions Christ gives the 12 apostles concerning their upcoming mission. And we saw three of those, namely, take nothing there in verse 3, stay there in verse 4, and shake off in verse 5. And we just drew out principles for our own missional lifestyle from those directives and instructions. And now you think, man, there just can't possibly be anything else to say about this. I mean, that's it. We, 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 we've wrung this text dry. We're chewing on bones now. And I say, hold on a minute. I don't think that's the case. If you noticed, we never really camped out on verse 6. And even today, though, we're not really going to camp out on verse 6. We are going to launch out from it. So why don't you look at verse 6 again with me. Um, It says this, And they departed, these are the twelve, the disciples, apostles, And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, at first glance, you might read that and go, I don't really see how this adds anything to what we've already covered. Verse 2 says, Jesus is telling them, go out, proclaim, heal. Verse 6 now says, well, they went out and they proclaimed and they healed. So what more is there to talk about? Well, actually, there is a massive thing to talk about here. There is something huge that I don't want us to miss. In fact... In my own life, there is often a massive disconnect between verse 2 and verse 6. Here's what I mean. These guys, these 12, man, they are a rough bunch and there's a lot of, there's a lot of room to kind of poke fun at the disciples right through their journey, but they get something way right here. They don't just sit and have a Bible study with Jesus about what it means to be missional or what evangelism looks like or what we're called to go and do or what we'll need, 
What we're being sent for. They don't just have like a nice Bible study or training session with Jesus. Verse 6 says they actually go out from there and do it. They actually walk this thing out. They actually obey. And I, I don't know if anyone else is, is like me or not. But man, don't you often feel like I'm never quite ready to go out and evangelize, and evangelize, to go out and share or talk to people about Jesus or live on mission? I'm never quite ready. There's always... You know, one more uh, book I should probably read, one more technique I need to kind of grow skilled in, a few more verses I should memorize. What if they ask me about evolution? Therefore, I should probably go back, get a couple more degrees, and then maybe I'll be ready to engage the, the, the culture, the world for Christ. And so we never get around to verse 6, to, to departing and going through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. We're always training, preparing, never end up going. And actually walking this out, like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't feel prepared. But Jesus said to go, so we're going to go. We're going to go. Every saint is sent. But how many of us saints are actually going? That's big. So all I want to do today is give us just one final push here in an effort to help us actually walk this out together. The last thing that I want for you or for me is for these last five weeks that we've spent in this text to just be kind of one inspirational little pep talk that warms our hearts, uh, gets us thinking and dreaming, but doesn't actually go anywhere, doesn't change the culture of our church, doesn't change the way we approach the culture. I want us to move out and to start feeling like, you know what? Let's go. Let's go. So I want you to come away from these messages able to truly picture how this missional living stuff could look and the details of your life today, this week, and uh, even as we approach a new year, this new year. I mean, what a time to start thinking about, man, am I, am I living this way? It's all about me, my mission, my stuff. Am I actually moving out for Christ? Am I going out? Am I departing? Am I doing it? So all I'm going to do here is just give us what I would call uh, the three basic steps of a missionary lifestyle. Three basic steps of a missionary lifestyle. This is going to be thoroughly practical, not like so many of my other messages where uh, I'm, I'm deeply embedded in a text somewhere. I'm going to just, I just want to be thinking practically with you on this because I don't want uh, this to just be another study. I want you to be able to picture it. So three basic steps of um, missionary lifestyle. Some of you may recall a while, while back I, I outlined these um, for you, but I'm sure most of you forgot, so I feel okay unfolding them further today. Um, first step, presence. Not Christmas presence, but actually being present in a place with people. Presence. Second step, opportunism. And third, courage. Courage. That's what we're going to unpack the rest of our time here this morning.
Are you cold? I'm starting to shiver up here. My goodness. Jeez. Like teeth chattering on the on the MP3 online. Um, so first, presence. Um, it, it seems to me that the church and human nature in general, uh, we kind of always tend to go insular. We always tend to kind of fold in on ourselves, kind of find our comfort zones, define those, you know, hunker down, stay safe within our little circle. Um, We like to find people with similar backgrounds to us. They get me. I get them. This is great. We like to find people similar uh, economic, you know, levels. We like to find people that think the same way, that that look the same way. We find our crew and we kind of hold everyone else uh, at arm's length. Like, I've got my people. Thank you very much. This is the same sort of impulse uh, that the scribes and the Pharisees back in Jesus' day had, um, where they were kind of defining through religious ritual and, and the, 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 the Mosaic law and things, who's in and who's out. And then our goal is, we got to stay in and let's keep them out. And here's the crazy thing about Jesus. He's always messing with these guys. He's always just like... Uh, tugging their chain because he's not going to follow those rules. He's not going to he's not going to stay within the lines. They're always blurred for Christ. If this is white and that is black, well, Jesus is in the gray somewhere, making everybody uncomfortable on both sides. This is why one of the. Um, Chief kind of accusations against Jesus, if you recall, I think it was, we looked at this back in um, Luke 7 when we were there. Um, One of the chief accusations against Christ, one of the main reasons why the religious leaders can't stand him and are sure he's not from God is is, is why. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Look at him, they say, verse 34 of chapter 7. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, if he's hanging out with those kinds of people, the outsiders, the low lives, the scumbags, whoever it is, if he's hanging out with those kinds of people, surely that's the kind of person he is. That's the assumption. Everyone who's really with God is on the inside here, safe with us. But you see, they missed something critical in all of this. And that is, because Jesus is a missionary, because the Father has sent him, critical to the missionary lifestyle is presence with the people you have been sent to. To reach. To actually be in their lives. To actually get in the mess with them. Not waiting for people to come to him. But he's going out to them. So what good is salt if it's left in the pantry? What good is light if it's kept under a basket? 
But if you get those things out, you put them into the decay and the darkness around, then they're fulfilling their purpose, right? And it's the same for the church. We are salt. We are light. And just as Jesus is present and friend of tax collector and sinner and outsider and you and I, so too now his people are called to go and be present in the midst of the decay and the darkness. A redemptive presence for good. For gospel advance. We... um just celebrated Christmas. And hopefully you had a good one. Um, I got a Nerf gun. That's all that I wanted. So you could just tie that up. I'm done. Christmas was great. Um, I hope yours was good too. But, but, but we just had, we just celebrated Christmas. And is that not what this is all about? Presence. That God himself has come down to be with us. Emmanuel. God with us. He's coming down into the mess. He's walking into uh, the story of sinners and, and like we've said, backing them into, pulling them back into the story. God's family, what God's doing in the world. So how are we doing with this? Are we getting into you know, the mess, the story of, of, of those around us in our home, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our city. Are we present with them? With the people that God has, in fact, called us, sent us to go to. Um, I've found that being a pastor can, can actually make this kind of difficult. This whole concept of presence there. There was a while there was like, man, I, I want to be, you know, reaching out and I, I want to be doing things. But I guess like my only option is really like knocking on doors because my job doesn't thrust me into relationship with unbelievers like so many others. My job just has me focusing in on the sheep and I can spend all my time on the sheep if I wanted to. And it just occurred to me after a little while, man, I don't have I'm I'm not a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I, all my friends are, are, are in, the, in the church. So I've got to get creative here. If I'm going to move towards this kind of first step of just a missionary lifestyle, I want to be present. I want to start engaging. I want to be actively uh, getting to know and loving and becoming friends with people that don't know Christ. So this is one of the reasons why... Um, Prayerfully, we, d- we decided to put Chloe, my oldest daughter, in uh, kind of like a hybrid charter parent participation school. Now, to be clear, um, I do not see Chloe, I, I do not, I refuse to let her be like a casualty to, to um, the mission, if you will. Like, ah, oh, yeah, Chloe's struggling, we'll throw her to the wolves, but at least we get to reach people. I'm like, no, I'm not saying that. She is my first mission field. We will uh, continue to pray each year about what's right for her. But it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Because now all of a sudden I have this more organic way of, of being present in the lives with, with unbelievers and people who don't know Jesus and who we desperately hope to reach and are being sent to. And so now we get to uh, get into their stories and invite them into ours. 
one of the things that I try to do, albeit imperfectly, is, you know, if I get to to uh, drop Chloe off or pick her up from school, I, I want to make sure I leave margin to allow myself to linger, to get to know uh, the parents and the kids, their stories, where they work, you know, who, the, what the siblings are like, how I can pray for them. Just start to engage, start to be present with them. Just rattle off a few more ideas for you on this so you can start to pray and dream for your own situation. I could have just kept going. Each one of these steps are just so many ideas, so many thoughts. Uh, it's exciting for me, and I hope to light a fire in you. But how how can you begin? If, if you feel like, man, all my friends are just kind of like in my tight little circle, my little church group, and I, I, I kind of like it that way, but I see what you're saying, Nick. What do I got to What are my... How can I start to be present with others? Well, here's a few ideas, just a few. First, you could perhaps become a regular. You know, what I mean by that is you go to the same restaurant or the same grocery store or the same hairdresser. Uh, you get to know the people who work there. You give yourself margin to linger again. And, and, and each time you're there, you, you, you ask a meaningful question. And don't go home and just forget about it and then continue to have the same conversation the next time you meet. Where, what's your name again? How many kids do you have? What's your... I actually go and I'll, I'll pray on these things and I'll write some of the things down, the conversations I had. So each time I meet with a person, I get a chance to kind of maybe go a little bit further in their story. And they know I care. So I really do. I believe God cares. So you become a regular at at, at some of these places, uh, not just because you like it. Oh, they cut my hair just right. Or, oh, the food is great. Not just this consuming attitude, but I'm I'm a missionary. I want to be present where people are that God is sending me to. I want to get to know them so that I can meaningfully minister the gospel to them. Maybe you pursue a hobby. I don't know if you think that Christians kind of have to be, you know, uh, well, to be on mission means you don't enjoy anything in the world. You just kind of like sit with, you know, your, your, your sackcloth and ashes and your hair chest or what, you know, those things are that like make you bleed and hurt and you just weep for the loss, but you don't have any fun. Pursue a hobby. I mean, Paul says to the Jew, I become a Jew, to the Gentile, I become a Gentile. There are certain aspects of my, of my past and my personality that will link and light up with different people. Like if I like birds, let's go join a, a what is it called, ornithology or whatever. Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go do birds. If I, if I, like, if I like music, let's, let, let's get into some of that. Sports, whatever it might be. Pottery, I'm serious. Start doing things with others. Be present. With others, you could join a gym. I know uh, one pastor I respect um, because of the dilemma sometimes it is pastoral ministry. And how do you get presence in the community with with uh, people that aren't just members of your church? He, he joined a gym. You know, you're just like I don't know. You're, you're cycling next to people, or you're lifting weights, or you're pouring down. You know, drinking Gatorade and sweating and stinking next to brothers or sisters and. Talking about life. Just being there. You'd be so surprised. This is where we'll go. Opportunism. You'll be, you'll be so surprised what opens up, what God does. If we just get there and we're asking, God, what would you have us do here? A few more ideas. You could volunteer at your kid's school or 
nonprofit in the community. Uh, you could start just getting out with other people that want to serve and get to know others that way. Or finally, and this is probably the easiest. You ready for this? This is profound. Go for walks around your block. Go for a walk around your block every evening. Get your kids or your wife or whatever it is after dinner and just go for a walk around the block. Just be out. Not to get from point A to point B. Not to burn calories or help aid with digestion. Although all that stuff is great. Fine. Walking helps. But so that you can actually be present in your neighborhood and just get, oh, I didn't notice that guy's fence broke over there. Maybe that's an opportunity for my home group to come together and help. Or, oh, hey, Jim, how you doing, man? What did you think about the weather? What's up? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that your mom died. How are you doing? I pray for you. Maybe, maybe I could get, you know, my family or my home group or my church to bring you some meals. I mean, we're Christians. I'm not trying to be weird, but we... you're a priest. You are a royal priest in the neighborhood. God has placed you there. He has sent you there on a mission. So you walk the neighborhood like a priest, man, like a mediator between God and man. How can I bring the gospel meaningfully in word and deed to these people? I'm just going to be present here. If I could just say uh, one last thing on this. Um, We've got to understand, I think, that our culture is, especially here in Silicon Valley, is moving against this idea of presence rapidly um, with the development of technology and other things. Um, You've got to think about that. Think about this with me. Uh, now, right, you can do, I mean, how many of you did your Christmas shopping online? You didn't have to see a person. You didn't have to talk to a store clerk. You didn't have to, you know, get in your car, put on a coat, go into a store and actually interface with real people. Now, just a click of the button. Now, I did that because we're busy and it was nice. But suddenly, we're moving away from actually having to interact with others. You could shop online. Now at the grocery store, right? How tempting, how appealing is that line where it's like, oh, I could just do this myself without actually having to have this awkward conversation with a clerk or stand in a line behind a family, people who annoy me or whatever. I'm just going to go, I'm going to do it myself. Think, I don't have to say hi to nobody. I'm in and out of the store. All these people there, perhaps opportunity just to ask the guy that I go to each week, and how are you? Found out he had cancer and, and was... Uh, you had to have these things removed and all this stuff, and it went well. But you don't know that if you're just clicking on a button on a screen. Now, again, you'll see me use that sometimes. But, <laughs> but just think about how our, our culture is moving us away. Or you look at how now you can get your coffee, you can get your food. I mean, drive throughs are relatively new, but you, you don't have to engage with them. You just crack your window open, you know, just enough to, to fit a burger, fries, and a shake through, and then you're on your way. I mean, I just went into In-N-Out the other day just so I could sit there and see the people that God has called me to. And what are they all about? Oh, that guy's like a, he's like a kung fu guy. I see what he's talking about over there. Oh, that girl's, look at what she's wearing, man. Why is that, why is that what our kids are wearing these days? You know, just seeing the people that you're being present. Who knows what God would do? All of this is for the sake of efficiency, right? But it ends up. Um, distancing us from other people. 
distancing us from other people. And I like efficiency, but not when it it, it guts the the very uh, essence of our mission. What I what I mean by this is, people are not a problem, or a nuisance, or a hindrance to us getting stuff done. They are the most important uh, thing. They are what they are the purpose. They are the point. Like if you look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, what does Jesus say to his disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Nations, in the Greek, ethnos. In other words, peoples. Where are you sending us, Jesus? To people. People are not a problem or a nuisance. They are the point. So if we go out of our way to avoid people, to stay insular and in our comfort zones and avoid awkward interactions, then we actually abort the very mission we've been put on by God. Because he's sending us to people. And the first step in that is presence. Just being there. Being there. So I don't know. How are you doing? How many friends do you have outside of the church? Maybe you say, I don't have any friends at all. <laughs> Gosh, I want to grow in this. I hope you do too. I want my lines to be blurred. I want people to not be sure. Man, is that guy a church guy? Is he one of those crusty Christian guys? He doesn't seem like that. He's out there hanging out with these guys. He's he just grabbing a beer with that person. He's playing sports over there. He's, He's in the mix with people I wouldn't think a pastor would be hanging out with. I want to, I want to be guilty of the, the same things Jesus says. I want to be able to be accused of the same things Christ was. Because that's where a missionary is. That's what a missionary is doing. What time did I start? Jeez. Oh, okay. Second. Now, opportunism. Opportunism. To get at this, let me say something here first. Um, Merely being present is not enough, right? Merely being present somewhere, my body out in the midst, my, you know, I'm actually at a workplace with other, uh, you know, unbelievers or something or whatever it is, is not enough, right? Um, One way I could put it as like this, there's a massive difference between being merely present and being truly present. If you want an illustration of this, all you need to do is go out to dinner. I'm serious. All you need to do is go out to dinner and take a moment, look at the tables around you. I guarantee you'll see at least one, probably half the restaurant, full of tables like the one I saw the other night when I went out to dinner with my family to CPK. Look over, and here's family of four, mom, dad, two kids, every single one of them on their little devices, hitting their buttons, eyes, you know, glazed like drool coming down. (laughs) And it was like that the entire meal, the entire meal. And I looked at at Megan, I said, I don't ever want to be like that. Where you're present, but you're not really there. 
right? So don't misunderstand me. I'm not opposed to smartphones. I want to use them wisely. But you see what I'm getting at. Just being present in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your city, doesn't mean you're actually there in the way that God intends for you to be there. As a missionary, uh, a sent one commissioned by Almighty God to be his ambassador, his royal priest, salt and light. Just being there doesn't mean that you're there in the way God wants. You might be in the world and of the world. He's saying, get in the world, but don't be of the world. Be, uh, again, a redemptive presence, bringing gospel and word and deed. And so with this, we step from presence to critical next step, opportunism, opportunism. Now, you can start to understand what I'm after with this idea of opportunism when we look at the life of Jesus. So if you watch him and you've seen anything through our our trek uh, in Luke so far, he's not just present with people. He's like always on the lookout for opportunity to meaningfully minister the gospel to these people he's present with in word and deed. Let me just give you a few examples from Luke's gospel. But I I wonder if you've noticed so much of his ministry just seems to kind of happen along the way. Just as he's there, friend of sinners, tax collectors, opportunities come and he just starts to engage He seizes these opportunities for God's glory because he's looking for them. So while he's teaching in a synagogue, a demon-possessed man kind of makes a run on him. And it's there that Jesus decides, okay, we're going to do this right now. Come on out. Thank you very much. Or it's as he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. That the woman with that flow of blood touches him and he stops what he's doing. Here's an opportunity to minister grace to this lady. Or when Jesus pulls his disciples away, as we'll see later in in chapter 9 here. um, As he pulls his disciples away to get a little bit of R&R in the wilderness. Like let's get away from the crowds for a bit. Well the crowds find him anyways. And Jesus doesn't send them away. He doesn't say, man, you're, you're, you're crimping my style, my, my plans. He sees the opportunity there. And so he feeds the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish. He feeds them. He heals them. He ministers to them. Did I lose this? Am I here? Oh, I'm here. As he's heading towards Jerusalem. His eye is on Jerusalem and he on his way, he, he's about to enter Jericho. Well, a blind man hears about it. This wasn't on Jesus' agenda, you wouldn't say. A blind man hears and he just cries out from outside the city. He just says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stops. He has mercy on him. And he heals him. Ministers the gospel to him. In a way, meaningful to him in that moment. And as he continues into Jericho, you know, he's walking, the crowds are surrounding him and he's walking through and he comes to a tree where Zacchaeus has climbed up because, you know, he's a wee little man and he needed, he wanted to be able to see. And he just comes to this tree, sees this brother up there. He said, man, I need a place to stay tonight. 
Yeah, I know you're chief tax collector. Yeah, I know you've been stealing from my people, but I also know you need the gospel. And he says, salvation has come upon your house tonight, Zacchaeus. Just everywhere he goes, he's present with people, but he's also an opportunist in the best sense of the word. You would almost get the sense that if you didn't know Jesus as omnipotent and sovereign, you would all uh, you would almost get the sense that he's just kind of going along the way, not planning these things, but just as he's present with people, he's got his eyes open for ways that God will will want him to minister Grace, gospel. The mission is happening along the way. Um, I remember reading a long time ago, uh, actually at an internship with Danielle, uh, at my old church way back when I went to college, this little biography about, about a guy named uh, R.C. Chapman. this kind of British pastor. He's long past. Um and the story just stuck with me because uh, th- this guy was kind of recounting what happened when they were in Spain. And they had, uh, R.C. Chapman had kind of lost his way. And they didn't know the way back to the hotel. And so he, get, he gets his traveling companion together uh, with him. He's like, man, we got to pray. And he prays for two things. He prays for two things. One, God, help us get back to the hotel. But two, God, as we go, man, would you, would you show us if there's, if there's someone we can speak to about their soul? If there's someone that, that if there's an opportunity, and we might speak with someone about eternal things, about their soul. And I wonder if you heard that along the way, along the way, as we're present in the midst of a city or with people or the workplace or whatever, along the way, we're saying, God, use us. God, open our eyes to the opportunities that are around to minister in gospel word and gospel deeds. Show us what we can do to proclaim the kingdom and to heal in this moment. Show us the opportunities. We assume not only are you going to help us get back to our hotel, but you have a mission for us. That's why we're here ultimately. And I wonder, do you pray that way before walking into your office? Like, God, like, give me an opportunity to talk with someone about their soul. Is there someone here? Just lay them on my heart. Open my eyes to see the opportunities that are around me or or, or that might come up as we sit around the, the coffee pot you know, at break time. Let me see what's going on. The mission that you've put me on. We may be present. Neighborhood, workplace. But are we truly present? What we find, I, I think, if you start to uh, see these sorts of things, as you ask God to open your eyes to what he might be doing and, and the opportunities that are there, what you'll see is that, that, man, the same old, same old starts to explode with possibility, with missional potential. Because now you're walking with different set of eyes and a different heart. And so same old, same old just starts to explode before you. Um, opportunities all around. Give you a few examples. Again, I said I was just going to 
continue just to illustrate, get you dreaming and thinking about what this might be for you. But here's one for me. Uh, my family gets an opportunity for this sort of thing almost every single weekday around 3 o'clock p.m. Because that's when a little neighbor boy uh, comes over, rings the doorbell, because he wants to play with my daughters. Now, yes, are there times where we're like, no, we can't do this today. Oh, man, no, not a crazy boy running around. Why do you think I got the Nerf gun, guys? <laughs> I'm serious. It's a Nerf fight every time this guy comes over. It's awesome, though. I love it. But so, so, so what do we have here but an opportunity? And so we, you know, can't always say yes, but when we can, man, come on in, let's go, let's do this. Have this little guy over. And what ends up happening as you take some of these opportunities, because we're present in the neighborhood and we have opportunities and we're, 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 we're moving through, we're opening doors when we can. But what ends up happening is his relationships start to go deeper, right? And so now all of a sudden you've got grandma, who's also his nanny, who's opening her heart to us, sharing with us about things that she needs prayer for, about her mom who just came down with cancer and it's terminal. And we find out now that the husband and wife are just shaken up by this as well. And so we're able to start to bring gospel hope. And she's, she's thanking us for prayers because, man, this, it's, it's actually regressing. They don't know how or why or we just don't know what God's going to do. But if you don't open the door, if you don't see those opportunities, which is kind of a problem or a nuisance, you don't get into these um, deeper places where you can minister the gospel meaningfully to people in word and deed. You know? So I don't know what opportunities you are seeing these days, but let me just rattle off a few more to get you dreaming. Holidays, Okay. We're in the middle of holiday season, right? Well, what was the Christmas Eve pancake thing? But just this. Just, hey, we're present in our city. Holidays happen to be an opportunity where people sometimes, for at least Christmas and things, might come to church. So let's try our best to reach out. Let's capitalize on that and do what we can. It's an opportunity. Or tonight, instead of cuddling up, you know, with your Dr. Pepper and ice cream or whatever it is, and watching some TV and the ball drop in New York. It's New Year's Eve. What, what? Did you get an invite from a neighbor that you're just like, I don't want to go, I don't want to see the, go. Or maybe you didn't get an invite, but man, go out, you know, to the store, get some champagne or sparklers if those are legal, dust off the board games, call over a, a few of your neighbors that you just been wanting to, to get to, and, and do it. The opportunities all around. I was thinking about Valentine's Day coming up. Man, get your home group together. Go through the neighborhood and say, hey, not trying to be weird or anything, but we'd love to, you know, our church is kind of doing this thing. We'd love to babysit your kids so you guys go have date night, whatever it is. Just think about all the opportunities that are there as we're present in our city, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Holidays. For us recently, it was birthday. So, People will actually come and hang out when it's your birthday. You know, you invite them, whatever. And my daughter's, you know, turned six and we wanted to do a nice little small thing and she wants to invite her whole class and I'm preparing this sort of material. I'm thinking, gosh, this is it. We're here at this school. We're getting to know these parents. She wants to invite everybody. That is an opportunity. 
Let's just do this, okay? 70 people want to go. Okay, fine. I got no, it's the middle of December. What are we doing? How much is this going to cost? This is crazy. But we're going to invite people from school. We're going to invite people from church. We're going to let our worlds collide, and we're going to see what God does. You know what was awesome? The teacher pulls my, my wife aside and says, dude, I don't know. I don't, she probably didn't say dude, but <laughs> I don't know what it is. There's just something unique about your family. Now, in that moment, it wasn't, she didn't have a chance to share anything more, but it's like we're, we're starting to move in, and God willing, we're going to get to share why we're unique and what it is. And we had another mom say, you know what, we'll, we'll bring our boy into your church just to kind of see what it's all about. You know, we're good pluralists, and we want to just kind of, you know, show him various things. So, yeah, we'll, we'll try. Just, but you never know that if you didn't kind of, if you weren't present and, and looking for opportunity. Another one for you might just simply be lunchtime. Lunchtime. 12 o'clock rolls around, missional potential. I mean, don't just, it's more opportunity to cross more things off of my list. Well, what about the list that God gives us? What about the missionary call? Gosh, everybody has to eat, and I know that the, the latest and greatest is probably to go get your food, come back, and keep going on your computer or whatever it is. Or even if you are out, you're doing this little thing, and it's like, no. Be the guy that stimulates community. Just let's go out. Hey, I, I'll buy if that's what it takes. Okay. Just want to know you. Just want to get to know where it, it's an opportunity. Twelve o'clock. Every Jason Belk, awesome guy. The guy would keep. I'm serious. This is so funny. This is so him. He would keep uh, a whole stash of sauces in his desk at. Uh, at, at work, like, I don't know what he had, but like sriracha, you know, barbecue, all these sorts of things. And, and he was like the sauce guy. So guys would like come with their lunch and kind of linger around his desk because he had all these various sauces for what they could eat and this or that. It's like, sounds so simple or so even strange, but be the sauce guy. Be the guy that brings donuts. Be the guy. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll give you one more on this, though you could just keep going. Um, I love what, what C.J. Mahaney, uh, he's a pastor now in, in Louisville. Um, one of the things that he'll do, at least I've been told, is uh, like say you're walking up to, you know, you're in line at Starbucks and, you know, the barista's going through her thing and, and asks you kind of that standard greeting, right? H- how are you doing? How are you doing today? Well, C.J. Mahaney got kind of in this habit of answering that question in a way that really takes it uh, and, and, and shows how, how, how missionally loaded uh, it really is and the opportunity that is there when somebody just simply asks you, how are you doing? Because he would answer this way. He'd say, well, better than I deserve. Which, you know, we live in a culture that thinks, man, things never go as well as I deserve. I'm like, I should be on the throne. You should be putting grapes in my mouth. Look at how horrible my life is. I deserve so much. And you have a guy here who says, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. What in the world is that? What do you mean by that? Well, I'm a sinner. I believe I deserve God's wrath because of what I've done. But instead, he, did he sends his son takes that wrath for me. He secures a relationship with him, an eternity with him. 
So however else I'm doing, thank you very much, Barista, for asking. I am doing better than I deserve. How are you? Do you see how just a normal conversation? We just keep going. Opportunities everywhere. Final step, and we will move quicker through this, so don't worry. I, I find that my last point always um, <laughs> is truncated because I spent too much time on everything else. But courage. Presence, opportunity, and courage. Um, before I un- unpack this third step fully, let me say this. Uh, if your eyes are truly being opened up to all the opportunities that are around you, uh, please don't be overwhelmed. You're not going to be able to do them all. You're not going to be able to capitalize on them all. You're not going to be able to meet every need, to share every word. In fact, even Jesus, when he was walking the earth, was in a sense limited by human flesh that he took on, right? And so we hear him at the end of his life say something like this to the Father, God, When I was on the earth, I accomplished all the work that you gave me to do. It's John 17. Now, he didn't heal everyone. He didn't share a meal with everyone. He didn't make disciples of everyone. But the work that God gave him to do, the opportunities that God called him to move towards, he did. When God gave the green light, Jesus went all out. You see this with Paul as well, where actually even in his missionary journeys, I think it's like Acts 16 or so, there are cities where he says, man, the Spirit actually did not let us go there. Like, that place would have been perhaps ripe for the gospel. It was an opportunity for sure. They haven't heard. We want to go. But the Spirit said, no, not yet. And so opportunities exploding everywhere with everyone you know, all over the, the streets. And we could, just, we could just dream for days, but then we get on our knees and we say, God, okay, what are you calling me to do? Which opportunities now am I called to actually move forward on? And when you get to that place, that's when you need courage, right? That's, it's one thing to see opportunities. Like, oh, pancake breakfast, or oh, birthday would be cool. I'm pretty good at dreaming up all sorts of ideas. It's another thing to actually move on it. To like share that word with the person that it was on your heart, but you're just kind of worried about it. Like, this could like, this could derail the friendship if I go here right now. I just feel like God wants me to say it. It takes courage, does it not? That's when it starts to cost us personally. Not just dreaming anymore, not just seeing anymore, but okay, your fence broke. Yeah, let me see if I could gather some from my church to fix it. Or How, how, how much is it going to cost? Because I just want to be that way in the neighborhood. Costs you personally, financially, it costs you relationally. They start thinking you're a weirdo or an idiot or whatever it is. We feel like, man, I'm really going out on a limb here, and this could end bad. I'm taking some risks. It could blow up in my face. But this is when we remember that Jesus didn't just go out on a limb for us. He was hung on a tree, right? 
So Jesus was present with us, saw opportunities, moved on them as the Father led him. And he knew that every time he opened his mouth with gospel word or he, or he, he, he touched a body and healed gospel deed. He knew that every time he did that, man, there was going to be opposition, that he was doing it in the, in the shadow of the cross. That this was going to cost him his life. To move on that would cost him his life. Last week, um, I, 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 during the course of just that uh, Christmas message, I talked about that scene in, I think it's Matthew 12, where there's this guy with a withered hand and, and Jesus reaches out and heals it. Seize the opportunity to bless this brother, show him what the kingdom is all about. Heals him. And the scribes, Pharisees watching in, they're not celebrating right now. They're seething with anger because he did it on the Sabbath. He broke the rules. He went outside the lines. And we read this in Matthew 12, 14. They went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him. John 11 with Lazarus, when he raises him up from the dead and calls him out of the tomb, it's the same thing. The Pharisees, scribes, these religious leaders aren't stoked on what they see. In fact, from that point, they say, how are we going to kill this guy? All these people are following him. How are we going to kill him? So Jesus knows he's doing all of this when he capitalizes on an opportunity to show Meaningfully, the gospel to people. He knows he's doing it in the shadow of the cross. He knows that while some might see and be saved, others will hate him for it and it will cost him dearly. It will cost him his life. But he does it for us. Last thing I'll leave you with here. Here's what's awesome. As we come out of this little mini-series now, and we kind of look at it, wow, okay, I've said throughout the whole time, I'm not living up to this stuff the way that I wish that I was, right? But here's what's so great. Jesus gives us, he leaves us really with two things that we desperately need. He gives us two things to help us start to walk this missionary lifestyle out. First thing he gives us, he gives us each other. I don't know if you notice that, but he doesn't just send out one like, hey, Peter, go. That would be a disaster if Peter were left to himself out there. He sends the 12 all together. Go. He gives us each other to hold each other accountable, to lift up our arms when we're feeling weak, to pray for one another when we're struggling, to encourage one another with grace when we feel like we failed or we just got afraid again and didn't say what was on our hearts to say. He gives us each other. But then even more than that, he gives us himself. And this really wraps back around to the very first text I referenced in the first message of this series. John 20, 21 through 22. Where you just see that, 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 that Jesus, as he's looking at his disciples, he's risen from the dead. He says, listen, I'm sending you as the father sent me. I'm sending you. But don't you don't you go yet. Hold on. I got I got something to show you here. I got something to give you here. 
He breathes on them. Next verse. It says, receive the Holy Spirit. The missionary par excellence, the archetypal missionary, Jesus Christ, the one who was courageous to the end, is with us and in us. Gives us each other and gives us himself. Let's pray. God, thank you for including us in something that you could do so much better on your own. Lord, I, I, I know that we went a little while here, but I pray that rather than just kind of overload people, I pray it stimulates their sanctified imagination. Just, God, how can you help our people be more present in our city How can you help us? What opportunities are around us? What are we not seeing that you want us to see? And God, grant us the courage to risk, to move at cost to ourselves, our reputation, our wallet, our home, whatever it is. Just pray that you would help us, God, to be ready for departure, to actually go out and do it. Amen.